Do you want to say something? Hello. Yeah, so I'll just start by asking you what your relationship to the urban farm is. Okay. I grew up working on alfalfa farms in Central Oregon. I had a bad relationship with agriculture, you could say. It was more like the industrial, you know, like use of pesticides and herbicides on a mass scale, kind of redundant work like that, Not no relationship to the soil or whatsoever. Originally an international studies student because I wanted to leave Oregon. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get away from farming. I wanted to get away from agriculture. Found the urban farm. It was an easy credit. I took it on a whim. It frankly changed the trajectory of where I'm at today, definitely. It uh, reintroduced me to, you know, an actual system, an agricultural system in which you care about the inputs that you put into the soil. What was your reaction when you heard about what was happening? Posed threat yes. to the urban farm. Um, I wasn't surprised, to be honest. I feel like the university has been on this track for a little while now. And then I initially thought that they were going to build a building over the back 40. Mm. And I was pretty upset about that. But I feel like everyone could see that coming, the mill race area. But uh, I remember when I learned that it was just going to be a staging ground, that is what I think mobilized me to push harder um, against this. Better fucking do something real soon. The University of Oregon is constantly expanding and encroaching on the community, and on its northern front right now is a project called the Knight Campus, primarily funded by Phil Knight and Nike Money. The new campus is meant for scientific research for quote-unquote advancing society by attempting to be a leader in genetic engineering and other competitive research operations. Ironically, at the expense of an established ecosystem, cherished community space, and inspiring example of sustainable agriculture. The University Urban Farm. The construction of the Knight Campus threatens the ability of the urban farm to function at its maximum potential, and if all goes to plan, will even lead to a vast swath being destroyed. Many worry that this is a sneaky first step towards the eventual obliteration of the farm entirely for the sake of profit a disturbingly common pattern in the history and the current moment of ecological agriculture everywhere. The scientific impact extension was funded by the second half of $1 billion in donations from Penny and Phil Knight. At the donation's live announcement, Provost Patrick Phillips said, quote, The University of Oregon inspires new technology, fresh ideas, and reinvention to enhance the quality of human life through discovery, end quote. Students call BS. This project will eliminate a space where people connect with the earth and with each other in a way that can transform society. The urban farm is part of the landscape architecture department and has operated since 1976. Its website describes it as not only a place, but a process integrating biological, ecological, economic, and social concerns. The farm hosts a course called Urban Farm, where students spend most of the class sessions with their hands in the soil. Instructors also teach about soil structure, plant families and identification, composting, and other topics related to organic agriculture. 
Class activities change with the seasons and group interests. At the end of each class, the day's harvest is laid out on a table for students to bring home. For many students, this is some of the freshest food they've ever eaten, straight from the farm that day. In a nutshell, the class is about working on the farm and taking home food, but it's deeper than that too. Being connected with your food and with the land that enables our society is truly empowering. The class offered each term fills up within hours. The urban farm experience encourages people to develop and deepen relationships with their food, their environment, and each other. It inspires people to learn from the world around them with wonder. It provides people with hard skills that last a lifetime. Students are unlikely to find this knowledge anywhere else in the academic world at the U of O. Grace Youngblood, a fourth year landscape architecture undergraduate, will explain more about what's going on. So right now, the night campus is in, I believe, phase two of their um, night campus expansion plan. And in phase two, they are putting in a building and the building is gonna be along the eastern border of the urban farm's current spaces. Um, so the issues that the urban farm is having right now is that the actual footprint of the building and the staging area that they're wanting to use um, to build the building is actually um, coming onto the urban farm's property. So along the eastern border, the um, building footprint, they have to have it like out 30 feet. And so that comes into the farm, I think about 15 to 20 feet. Um, and that's along the entirety of the farm. And so, you know, 15, 20 feet doesn't seem like a whole lot, but when you're taking that much out of the whole, like vertical side of the farm, um, it ends up a lot of space. The Eastern border is on the farm's longest edge. It houses the six chamber compost system raised and on-ground beds, Port Orford cedar trees, which are native to Oregon and becoming endangered, beehives, a mushroom inoculation area, an English walnut tree, apple trees, and a persimmon tree. This is no small effect. So that's one of the ways that they're sort of creeping in. Um, and then the other one, which is a little more painful, is the back 40. Um, so the back 40, I think it's 3,200 square feet of just garden beds. Um, and then after that, there's a whole bunch of trees, um, hedgerows, a bunch of native, non-native plants um, that are all, you know, planted and maintained by students and staff and faculty. The back 40 contains at least half of the urban farm's fruit trees. Apples and pears, yellow plums and purple plums, figs, and my favorite of them all, a mulberry tree. Quick aside about the mulberry tree, it's in the very back corner of the urban farm, all tucked away, and I hadn't seen it until years after um, being involved in the farm. And it was the first mulberry tree I had ever met, and it is just absolutely incredible. In the summer, it's just dangling with hundreds and hundreds of fruit, and you just shake the branches and let the fruit fall onto a tarp and there's been so many days in the summer where I'd ride my bike to that mulberry tree and shake it up and come home totally purple because I cannot stop eating these delicious mulberries and it is the only one I've ever seen in Eugene 
So I would be incredibly heartbroken to see it gone. And um, the Mac 40 has been in existence since the early 90s. Um, and it's pretty neat how it came about. Sort of started as um, like the urban farm program itself was like gaining popularity. And so they were looking for more space. And this was just sort of like an empty lot. There's a lot of blackberries and brambles and student groups just started cleaning it up, and amending the soil with compost um, from different food kitchens and making it, you know, a usable space. Um, and since then they've been growing and cultivating, cultivating and um, maintaining this healthy, beautiful, productive parcel of land. And um, so now part of the Knight Campus's expansion plan is using that space as a staging area. Can you describe more of like what that is and how it would impact the area? Yes. They're proposing it as um, a place to put all of their materials, all of their machines, um, and just keep it there for the extent of time that they're actually building the building, um, building the structure, and the like, I don't know. <laughs> I find it offensive <laughs> um, that they say after however many years, two years or whatever, um, that it takes to build the structure, they would actually give it back to the farm. And to me, it's like, okay, so you're taking this land that has been really grown. The soil has been grown um, for, you know, 30 years, 30 years, right? 30 plus years by countless people um, and you're putting machines on it, you know, that's pollution, that's like whatever chemical leakage, um, it's compaction, that's massive, mm -hmm. that makes a huge difference. Um, and so that's after clearing out all of the plants, that's clearing out all of the trees, which includes, I think it's 39 trees, I could be wrong on that number, it could be more. Um, and that's apple trees, pear trees, plum trees, we have a mulberry, we have three figs. Um, you know, it's a massively productive space. So taking that, staging your materials, and then giving it back. So it's after you've clear cut everything, um, compacted, polluted, and actually giving it back to us, it just doesn't make any sense. And sort of really treating it like dirt. It's not dirt, it's soil. And like, there's a big difference there. It's just alarming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, what's the alternative that the City Urban Farm Group is laying out? As yeah. An idea? Um, so I think sort of when they made this plan, including the staging area, um, you know, this this area, the back 40 right now is considered in like the um, university planning documents. This is it's called urban farm activities. So it's not actually the urban farm outdoor classroom. Mm -hmm. So it's not protected in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, to me, I think it was just convenience. It's right next door. Um, again, to them, they are seeing it as sort of dirt, you know, like this space that doesn't have that much um, value to them. Um, and yeah, location, it's convenient. It would be convenient. Mm -hmm. um, it's right next door. It would be convenient if it was empty. 
Um, so I guess what we're sort of pushing as a student group is finding an alternative space. The organization Save the Urban Farm emerged out of student outrage. Rumors were spread about the development of night campus threatening the farm, but students realized no one really knew what was going on. They just knew something was up. So a group of ambitious students began investigating. They reached out to landscape architecture faculty, the landscape architects and architects working on the night campus project, campus planning committee, and campus planners. It was hard to find answers, and they wondered why information was hidden. I'm not sure that the night campus group um, knew how much people cared or how many people were involved um, in the urban farm or how many people cared about it. Yeah. So I think they made the easiest choice or to them the most convenient choice. And now they're like, oh God, okay. Like maybe we need to rethink this a little bit, hopefully. Can yeah. you talk at all about the um, responses to pushback from either the night campus folks or the College of Design or just any um, response from the bureaucrats? Yes. Um, I think the biggest response has been like, this is, has been a collective response from multiple different departments and admin and, um, you know, a bunch of different groups that apparently have power, um, just sort of brush us off. And like that has happened quite a few times where, you know, we'll act, ask these direct questions and they'll be like, that's a great question. Let me pass this on to somebody that might have the knowledge. And then nobody ever gets back to us. And this has been happening since like January when we started sending out emails and like sort of trying to gather information. Mm. Um, and so we've been like thrown in a lot of loops. And I think like the frustration with all that is, is we're like, why? Why are you being so shady and secretive? Like we're coming to you as students. You're apparently building this for the student body, like to further education. Um, so I think just like, Clarity, lack of communication. Um, nobody seems to know anything, which just can't be possibly true, especially on a project this big with what two donations of 500 million or something. Once we sort of started gathering information, we decided we'd um, hold just a meeting um, to invite students, student body, um, not only to give them the information that we had gathered, but also um, to sort of, you know, open the floor to be like, what do you guys want to know? Um, mm -hmm. What do you want to do? What are your opinions? Like, we're all just student body. Mm -hmm. um, how can we sort of come together and have our voices heard or our questions answered? Students are still fighting to be a part of the conversation regarding how the night campus will impact the urban farm. Thus far, ASUO, which is the student government for the university, has unanimously passed a Senate resolution declaring opposition to any future development of the Knight campus that jeopardizes the urban farm's ability to continue its current operations as usual in its current location. The resolution also advocated for student inclusion in all conversations about the project. 
Students are bringing this resolution to the University Senate and eventually President Schill. Response from the UO administration has demonstrated that they accept the loss of the urban farm space. The Dean of the College of Design, Adrian Parr, called a town meeting for students to raise questions and concerns about what's happening with the urban farm. As soon as the meeting began, it was clear that it was just for show. First off, like, the room she booked was way too small. And I was sitting in the front, and um, I was one of the first people there, and I just kept looking behind me and watching it fill up. Um, made me proud. I was a little upset with her actual knowledge of what was going on especially due to the fact that she actually called the meeting. Um, the first question that somebody asked was, what actually are the impacts on the farm? Um, and she gave like a really vague response to the point that I was like, oh, wow, I want to raise my hand and like let them know because there are actual schematic design plans out that show the impacts, whether or not they're Finalized. Not only does the UO administration neglect the desires of the student body, but they also hardly even leave space to listen. The Dean's three points that she has continuously pushed are to one, increase the student experience, two, grow the program, three, add cultivatable area. Once again, this is extremely vague and in direct opposition to the priorities of most of the students who have ties with the farm at least in the context of what is happening right now. This progress-oriented mindset is what has created this problem in the first place. Increase, grow, add? What about maintain, support, and continue? What about care for, nurture, and protect? Um, everybody that raised their hand had a question backed by facts, had a question backed by personal experience. Um, you could tell everybody on in that meeting, you know, had been on the farm, um, and even if they hadn't, they had knowledge of what was going on. She called the meeting, but it didn't seem like she had the information that the students had. And so to me, I was like, well, how did you expect to answer questions about what was going on if you don't even know the impacts on the most like recent conceptual schematic plan? She said quite a few things that seemed <laughs> out of this world. <laughs> um, <laughs> among them was the repeated stance that we should transplant the trees in the back 40. So as I said, the back 40's, you know, been in existence since the 90s. You're not transplanting a 30-year-old apple tree. It's not happening. She kept saying we are going to keep the experience around the urban farm. She kept emphasizing compromise. Um, that is something that, you know, administration and um, all the groups involved, you know, are continually emphasizing that the student body will need to compromise. She said something like, we can't all get some everything we want. Having a building go up right next to the farm is already a compromise. Like, that's already closing us in, that's taking sunlight, um, that's two years or however long it's gonna take to build that building of compromise. That's noise, that's air pollution, that's dust. Okay, if that's <laughs> not a big enough compromise for us, 
then we're talking like the eastern border impasse and then the back 40. So the student body is pressing like the back 40 can't happen. That's ridiculous. Like you're going to use that as a staging area when you have, you know, you have other options. Maybe they cost you more, but this is the largest like public funded project ever. Like you have the funds. And then the final one, and I've heard this quite a few times from um, administration talking about compromise is like, okay, well, if we have to take the back 40 and the Eastern border, then maybe the night campus um, program can find another place to expand the urban farm program, like a Columbia Street, an outside garden space, which is not ideal. It's fragmenting, you know, mm -hmm. the urban farm. The which, student experience. And the student experience, you know, that's breaking up the groups, you know, that's breaking up the classroom and the space and the um, area that students can work together to grow food. But I asked a question during the meeting because I was, because I just keep hearing that. It's not what I want, um, but that just, even like written in one of the maps that the Night Campus published, it's like um, back 90 activity. And then they say something about if they displace that, they'll look on campus for a different place to you know make up for make up for the displaced land. Um, so my question was like, if this is the compromise that you guys keep sort of pushing, um, how come there's no plan for that? That has been just like the really um, admin response. Mm -hmm. It's like compromise, we'll get you a new spot, <laughs> which is like offensive, yeah. but okay, where is it? <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, and the construction's supposed to start, like, soon. Exactly. Like, how, how soon, you think? Um, it said, like, break ground in January, they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, who knows, maybe the student body will leave and they'll just jump on it in the summer. I can see it. Um, so there needs to be a plan. There needs to be plans. Now. Exactly, yeah. and it's just getting closer and closer, um, and all of these compromise plans, which... It's not what we want anyway, but it's a compromise. Um, they were never thought out. They really feel like a afterthought. Now, at this point, you may very well be wondering, what can I do to help? The answer to that is bound to change frequently. So the best answer is to follow at Save the Urban Farm on Instagram, or keep up with the blog posts and the event calendar at SaveTheUrbanFarm.com. Both of these will keep you in the loop with timely updates about what's going on and how to plug in. If you have the capacity and the passion to go a step further, send a DM to the Instagram or leave a comment on the website under the Get Involved tab, stating what you have or would like to contribute to the organization, and you can get plugged in with the Slack. If you have a personal connection to the farm, you should know that they are compiling written testimonials. You can submit yours today. Save the Urban Farm and its allies expect administrators, planners, and designers leading the night campus development process to acknowledge the multifaceted value of the farm and to revise plans to prevent its harm. Specifically, updated plans should eliminate the temporary or permanent use of any farm spaces for construction, staging, or buildings and safeguard all of the fruit, 
nut, and ornamental trees in their current locations. Save the Urban Farm is committed to a respectful and collaborative process to ensure the student voice is recognized by the UO administrators and to secure the requested revisions to the Knight Campus development. This quote was taken from the Save the Urban Farm website in their mission statement. As I'm sure is clear by now, students are outraged at the possibility of the loss of urban farm space. The farm has positively influenced the lives of so many people through the hands-on collaboration-based learning experience it provides. I interviewed Ethan, Teddy, and Zach, just three of the 350 students who take the urban farm class every year from 90 different departments. They, along with Grace, speak about their experiences at the farm and reactions to the threat of the night campus. Beginning where we left off in Ethan's testimony at the beginning of the episode. But uh, I remember when I learned that it was just going to be a staging ground. That is what I think mobilized me to push harder um, against this because that's just ridiculous. That's just absolutely asinine. I th that goes against all of the convention and like um, what I thought the university stood for when I originally came here. Um, you know, because I remember taking the duck walk um, as a freshman in 2015 and was just like, this is this is the University of Oregon. We pride ourselves on having you know over 500 different types of species of trees and like quick access to the Lima River, walking trails, all this stuff. I just thought that at some point the the university has to ask the students what they want, and that has not happened, and it, that should happen. You know, show up at the first town hall, and I you know know that they're trying to do something to the urban farm but I don't know what they're trying to do. And I walk in and they say that they're trying to get rid of the back 40. And I realize that the area that I have been working with my team is the area they want to get rid of. Oh, that, that the back 40 area is just like, I've, I've spent so many hours back there reading and studying for classes. And like, I have, I met like a past girlfriend there that was like extremely serious and changed my life. And it's all within that little area sitting on like those benches in the back. And the UVO has a history of taking away these spaces that kind of are more grassroots movements and that do build community. I remember my friend and I just like going there and staring at one of the mullein plants that was extremely tall. It was like over six and a half feet. And we were just shocked by this thing. And then we got on our phones and we were looking up all these things about the of mullein plants. And they're like, the leaves can be used to staunch bleeding. They're like, oh, and you can also put the leaves in small bodies of water and it like paralyzes fish and whatnot. We actually get to like see these plants start from little babies and grow. It's still, you know, devastating. It feels a little bit like an insult to my education and things that I'm doing that are like a benefit to the university. Yeah, it's sad. And, you know, for me personally, the urban farm played a significant role in my personal and professional development at the University of Oregon. Ed Grace is one of my mentors in my FIG class, which is like the first year interest group. And we had to do this meet and greet, and uh, she kind of decided to host her time at the urban farm. I find it like unbelievably valuable in my life for every reason, mental health, physical health. And this was my first experience I had at the place. And after a short talk with her, you know, I really knew that the landscape department was the right place for me. I don't know, I think it's 
the most magical thing. And from there I met Harper and began to volunteer in some of my spare time. And Harper exchanged produce for my work. You know, This was before I had food stamps, so I relied on the urban farm for supplemental food. And the urban farm like kept me from having hungry nights. You really get into the fine art. It's like more of an art form. It's bringing the art back into agriculture mainly. Learning how to like the importance of compost and just learning about the uh, just like the pollinators and their relationship to everything too because back home we had pollinators as well like um, nearby for a, a carrot farm but I had always just thought of them as just pests. And so like very nervous coming into especially after a winter term that's mostly online like very nervous coming into a class and then just like completely turned my term around. Like I look forward to going into the urban farm every single week. I have a really incredible group there. One of the main attractions of the urban farm is that everyone gets to get together in that hay bale circle. And we all get to see each other's faces at the beginning of each classroom. It's not like the kind of class or the kind of program where like you get involved and you don't do half the readings because you don't want to or because you're exhausted. It's like you throw everything into it because you genuinely care about it. It's just like the time that it takes to create that kind of space. It's measured in years and um, the time it takes to build that soil, I mean, that is, that is extremely good soil. It's like when, um, that's the same type of soil that they put under when uh, they built the Valley River Center. Mm -hmm. That big mall over there, that was some of the best farming land in the Willamette Valley, and I can imagine it could be compared to many places in the world. It's the most beautiful soil I've ever seen. Like, truly it makes you, like once you start working on it, you understand, like, how alive soil is and how important it is to be like within an ecosystem. It's not just food either, the food's amazing. It's not something you can get at the grocery store. It's food that has been cultivated. It's soil that has been cultivated for years and years in a sustainable manner. That place isn't tilled, they don't till it. Um, the mycelium networks in there must be immense. You have those port orchard cedars, which are endangered in the state of Oregon. As I started like reading about the urban farm, I see all of these people who have been there for like years and years and years, and like the team leaders talk about how long they've been working there. And the students talk about the fact that the class fills up in like two days. I love being there, and I love being a part of it. Yeah, I'm proud to be a part of it. Kind of just feeling it's a little oasis from everything. Oh, so nice. Get rid of the back 40. It destroys that. The trees that are there for one, um, it destroys the, the mycelium network that has been created over years and years that is so hard to do. You know, it's not just organic, it has a legacy behind it, and it's really that legacy is what we're trying to save. Eugene isn't a big place, uh, and the university has a huge impact on Eugene. And um, I, it's for that reason that um, they can't just do what they want and think that nobody's going to be upset. I mean, I'm sure that they, they understand that there'll be pushback, but I think that they need to understand just how much pushback there's going to be for, like, uh, when, you, when you try to change what the University of Oregon and what Eugene stands for in mm -hmm. general. We also received a really great testimonial from a community member who touched on some points that haven't been touched on in this episode yet, and so we wanted to read what he said. What you're about to hear was written by David Stone, who's involved with Cascadia Wildlands, a local environmental nonprofit. The urban farm offers a unique connection between the academic world and the off-campus world. 
there are a number of people who began their successful new farmer career through the urban farm program at the UO. This is especially important in light of the declining number of traditional farmers. Without these new farmers, we would be dependent on mega corporate farms which are killing family farms and the rural communities dependent on them. Not to mention the environmental harm caused by all those pesticides and herbicides and the monocrops. Urban Farm provides a great alternative to the traditional agricultural programs offered at OSU. Urban Farm operates on a very small footprint and should not be sacrificed to the new Nike behemoth. The new small farmers, like those who sell at all those new, growing, expanding, popular farmers markets, provide lots of healthy, organic produce and support their families just fine. They prove wrong the corporate bureaucrats who insist that farmers get big or get out. Getting big ruins the land and drains aquifers, just as farmers are trying to cope with widespread droughts. Short-term corporate profits for long-term or permanent losses? That is what is killing rural America. Sacrifice forever the urban farm for short-term staging of equipment for the Nike construction? No. Don't even accept any promise to rebuild an urban farm. That soil took decades to build up, can't be replaced for another many decades, nor can the fruit trees. Construction companies building the Nike project need to be creative, rather than coveting the easy, low-hanging fruit, pun intended, of the urban farm. This is David versus Goliath, just like the fight a few years ago to stop development of the ball fields on the riverfront. In that one, David won. Thank you again to Dave for that testimonial. The value of green space in the community is so important. Who wants to exist in endless hardscape, where the songs of the birds that can still find a home are drowned out by the noise of endless construction echoing off concrete and glass? What kind of advancement is that? The university has ramped up exponential construction and growth in the last decade and a half or so, with cranes and dump trucks on every corner. We lose green space every year as the university crams more and more buildings onto its campus, or else encroaches outward onto nature, neighborhood, fruit trees, and what have you. The urban farm has served as an oasis in a sea of development for the past several years. We hope that our actions and voices as students can have some impact on the decisions that are made on our behalf. And that if nothing else, we can show the back 40 with its fruit trees, fungi, ladybugs, and bees, the respect it deserves by putting up a hell of a fight. UO students have been known for a culture of resistance to everyday tyranny for more than half a century. Maintaining this reputation may be a bigger asset in the fight against corporate influence than we, Shill, Phil, or anyone else realizes. The battle to save the urban farm is far from over. We'll be sure to keep you all updated with how it all goes down. We'd like to give a personal shout out to the best teacher that many UO students ever encounter at their time in college, Harper Keeler, who has led the urban farm program for decades. Harper, you've changed the lives of countless people and you are loved by so many. And also a big general shout out to the many dedicated Green Thumbs who have helped him teach the course and run the farm over the many years of its existence. This podcast arises from members of the Climate Justice League at the University of Oregon. Our mission as a club is to educate and empower not only UO students, but any and everyone with an interest in climate justice to be effective members of their communities.
You're listening to A.T.O.M. by Amos Hart and Anne Annie from Amos Hart's album, The House on the Hill. They're both Eugene-based musicians and alongside some other friends are starting up a project together called Darlin, which will hopefully roll out an album and a tour this summer. Amos Hart has lots of shows coming up in Eugene. You can find more info about them and find this music by searching Amos Hart a-M-O-S-H-E-A-R-T on Instagram or on any music streaming platform. Thanks again to our interviewees, Grace, Ethan, Zach, Mickey, and Dave, and to all our comrades working on the Save the Urban Farm campaign. This episode was primarily brought to you by Sydney. She conducted the interviews and drove the project creatively. Editing was done by Sydney and me, Bryce. I also made the cover art and the background beats. We used some synth loops from Joseph Prez from freesound.org, too. The scripting was done by Sydney with support from myself, Sophie, and Kai. Our intro jingle was created by the band Laundry, also based out of Eugene. You can find them on Instagram by searching at LaundryTheBand. You can learn more about our principles, as well as our current and past campaigns, at climatejusticeleague.weebly.com. And you can find us on Instagram by searching at climatejusticeleague. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'd love to hear what you think about it. So please leave a review or get in touch with us over Instagram to share your thoughts or feedback. Oh, and remember to hit follow so you can stay in the loop when we drop new episodes. Thank you.